Good evening, listeners. Welcome to the Nightly Crow Catcher with Corey Fink. This is episode 29. I'm excited to be here with you all tonight. I am your host, and you're listening to WQEE 99.1 FM, the key at noon in Georgia. I hope everyone's having a great night. It's now time to enter the late night madness. The first thing that we're going to talk about in the world of the MLB in our first story is the Chicago White Sox versus the Cleveland Guardians. Elvis Andros knows he'll one day miss playing at Progressive Field. The Guardians won't miss him. Andros, who has tortured Cleveland pitching throughout his career, hit a two-run single after Chicago tied it in the ninth inning on consecutive throwing errors by rookie Brian Rocio, sending the White Sox to a 5-3 win on Sunday. Andrus went 3-for-5, raising his career average to 376, with 9 homers, 30 RBIs, and 36 runs in Cleveland. While he was with Texas from 2009 to 2020, the 34-year-old had a 39-game hitting streak here. I don't know, man, Andrews said when asked about his success in Cleveland. Each player has his own ballpark where he feels comfortable. I try to tell myself I wish I could hit it like that every time in the ballpark. But Chicago's late comeback came one day after a nasty benches-clearing brawl between the AOG Central rivals. There was no carryover from Saturday night's melee triggered by a fight between Chicago's Tim Anderson and Cleveland's Jose Ramirez that escalated quickly. There were six total ejections. Major League Baseball is still reviewing the Anderson-Ramirez altercation. They are both facing lengthy suspensions along with subsequent flare-ups before handing out discipline. The White Sox were down to their final strike in the series finale before rallying against all-star closer Emmanuel Clasey. Chicago loaded the bases on two singles and the first error by Rocio, filling in at third base for the Ramirez. But Rocio charged and made a bare-handed play on a bouncer. But his throw to first was short, and Cole Calhoun acquired in a trade Friday from the Los Angeles Dodgers and making his first start at the position since... 2013. This couldn't have happened at a better time, and Zach Remilder followed with a hard smash that Rocio backhanded. However, his long throw was in the dirt, and again Calhoun couldn't make the pick, allowing the White Sox to tie it. But Calhoun felt he let his new teammates down. Both of those balls had to be caught, the 35-year-old Calhoun said. Both of those win the game. And Rocio made two really good plays, and they've got to be finished. So that's on me. I was asked before the inning if they wanted to take me out, and I said no. So that was my call to go back out there for the ninth inning. And so having it come down to those two plays, make one of those, and we win the game, but it's tough. The Guardians are short at first after trading Josh Bell last week, and with Josh Naylor expected to miss... With the oblique strain, Sammy Peralta got his first career win, and Jimmy Lambert worked the ninth for his first career save. Rookie Gabriel Arias 
hit a two-run homer for the Guardians, who went 5-for-8 against the White Sox this season. But on Saturday, Anderson threw the first punch before being knocked down by a blind right hook from Cleveland's all-star third baseman. Both players were ejected, along with Cleveland manager Terry Francona, third base coach Mike Sarbaugh, Clace, and Chicago manager Pedro Griffol. Anderson was not in Chicago's lineup, and Griffol insisted it was a scheduled off day and had nothing to do with the fight or the shortstop's behavior. He initially left the field before returning as he sought revenge. Ramirez started AD at DH and went 1-for-3 with a double and two stolen bases. Ramirez received a louder ovation from the progressive field crowd than usual, but first at bat. A fan sitting down the right field line clapped while wearing oversized red boxing gloves, and another wore a homemade t-shirt with Down Goes Anderson on it. Really interesting. But on the back, a nod to to the Guardians broadcaster Tom Hamilton's call of the sixth inning fight following Saturday's fracas. But the White Sox came out swinging. They took a 2-0 lead in the first as Luis Robert Jr. followed a leadoff double by Andrus with an RBI triple off the center field wall. Jimenez who came up limping during the extended scuffle on Saturday, hit a sacrifice fly. But the long relief of Chicago's Lane Ramsey made his Major League debut at six foot nine. He and his Minnesota's Bailey Ober are currently the Major's tallest players right now. Now we got our training reports. For the White Sox, catcher Sebi Zavala was placed on the 10-day injury list with a strained left oblique to take his roster spot. Catcher Carlos Perez was recalled from AAA Charlotte. In this game, it was the Chicago White Sox, to you guessed it folks, took it to the bank by the score of 5-3. In this next game of the MLB News We Go, we're recapping upon, is between the San Francisco Giants versus the Oakland Athletics. Nick Allen homered twice and had three RBIs. Shea Langliers put Oakland ahead with a two-run single in the sixth inning, and the Athletics rallied to beat the San Francisco Giants 8-6 on Sunday night. Allen was hitting 155 in 21 games. That's a tough start, but since returning from the minors back in July 4th, before his breakout game sparked Oakland to its second consecutive win following a four-game losing streak. Anytime I hit a home run, it's special. But hitting two, it's amazing, said Allen, who hadn't homered twice in a game since doing it in double-A back in 2021. I woke up on the right side of the bed. I felt like I was seeing the ball well today. Limited to eight runs over their previous eight games, the last place A's outlasted Giants all-star Alex Cobb and then broke through with three runs in the sixth. Oakland earned its second successive victory in the annual Bay Bridge Series after losing the first two matchups in San Francisco this year. Seth Brown doubled twice and had his first triple of the season for Oakland. Zach Geloff added the first 
three-hit game of his career as the A's won back-to-back -back games for the fifth time since their season-high seven-game winning streak back in June. But it was a great day for Nick Allen. Oakland manager Mark Hase said he's been grinding. He obviously knows that offensively he has got to get going, and today was a great day for him. He has that ability to pull side to drive that baseball, which he showed today. But Lamont Wade Jr. had three hits and two RBIs, and Patrick Bailey singled twice and walked twice for the San Francisco Giants, who are now 61-51, and and they've dropped into a tie with the Phillies for the top National League wildcard. Allen, a 5'8 shortstop, provided the A's with a pair of highlights on a day. They honored the latest group of inductees into the franchise's Hall of Fame. Kirby Sneed struck out all three batters he faced to earn his first win since July 12th of 2022. Trevor May, the last of six A's relievers, got three outs for his 11th save. And the bullpen did a great job, Cotier said. Guy after guy came in and threw strikes, while a continued chance of sell of the team echoed throughout the Coliseum. Allen homered in the second and fifth. Both drives came off Cobb, who wound up with a no decision against the A's for the second time in three weeks. Allen also reached on an infield single against Jacob Junis in the eighth inning. But sometimes it just comes in bunches, Allen said. If it's in the same game, it's in the same game. I'm just happy that we got the win. But Cobb, a first-time All-Star this season, allowed seven hits, five runs, and five one-third innings. But after Brown doubled in the sixth to chase Cobb, the A's quickly got to reliever Luke Jackson. Brent Booker reached on a throwing error by four-time gold glove shortstop Brandon Crawford and Jordan Diaz walked to load the bases, and the A's rookie, Tyler Soderstrom, walked to force in a run and cut the Giants' lead to 6-5. Langliers mirrored in a 35 for 195, a 179 slump, very tough, but followed with a sharp single up the middle to put Oakland in front. To get where you want to be, you have to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. Cobb said, but letting two games go like that, hopefully it's not going to cost us at the end of the year, but definitely has the potential to. Pinch hitter Tony Kemp added a sacrifice fly off Ryan Walker in the seventh for the A's. Oakland star Luis Medina got 10 outs and allowed four runs and three earned. But LaRusso's special visit came really as an incredible time for the franchise. Hall of Fame manager Tony La Russa is thrilled to be cleared to travel again after a health scare unrelated to his heart issue a year ago, while managing the White Sox during which he had a pacemaker inserted for his heart. And he says, I'm doing much better. But back in Oakland, as the A's honored their new Hall of Fame class, the 78-year-old La Russa guided Oakland to three straight World Series from 1998 from 1988 to 1990, including the 1989 earthquake interrupted title and a four-game sweep of the Giants. But former slugger Jason Giambi, who spent his first eight seasons in the majors with the A's, was among the five inductees. Now we're on to our training report. As for the Giants, right-handed pitcher Anthony 
Diascalafani sidelined since July 27th was a flexor strain in his pitching elbow. He received a PRP injection and is unlikely to throw for up to two months. Manager Gabe Kapler said the team won't rule out a return this season, but it's going to be a while for that to happen. Now for the athletics. First baseman Ryan Noda will need at least a short rehab assignment as he works back from a fractured jaw. He will take live batting practice against right-handed pitcher Mason Miller for his tightness in his pitching forearm. But on Tuesday, if that goes well, Noda could begin a rehab assignment on Wednesday. But all in all, in this game, it was the Oakland Athletics who took, to you guess it folks, to the San Francisco Giants to the bank by the score of 8-6. to In our last game, last story as you will, for the MLB News on the nightly crowd catcher with Corey Bank is the Kansas City Royals versus the Philadelphia Phillies. Bryson Stoft, Kyle Schwarber, and Nick Castellanos homered, and the Philadelphia Phillies beat the Kansas City Royals 8-4 on Sunday. Bryce Harper had two hits and drove in a run for the defending champion Phillies, who have won five out of the last seven. Philadelphia began playing in second in the NL wildcard standings, but I felt like we did a really good job this whole series responding, Schwarber said. MJ Melendez, homer for the Kansas City Royals, and Tyjon Walker recovered from a shaky first inning to become the first Major League pitcher to reach 13 victories on the season. He just competes even if he doesn't have his good stuff says Phillies manager Rob Thompson. The Phillies went ahead for good on Schwarber's 28th homer in the second, a 421-foot drive to center of Zach Greinke that made it 5-4. The two-run shot stopped an 0-for-19 skid. I always have confidence in him, Thompson said, but Castellanos tacked on a two-run shot to left in the fifth, and Harper hit a sacrifice fly in the seventh. Kansas City tagged Walker for three runs on five hits in the first, but the Phillies even the score in the bottom half on Stott's opposite field drive to left with two down. That changed the momentum in this game, Thompson said, but after Melendez made it 4-3 in the second with a solo shot, Walker settled down and allowed just one more hit. The 30-year-old right-hander finished seven innings of seven-hit ball. Walker is trying to figure out why his velocity has started slow in the last two outings, but his mentality remains the same. My job is to go out there and give them a game where they have the best chance. The struggles continued for Greinke, a six-time All-Star. He left after surrendering five runs and seven hits in his four-inning outing, but the dazzling defense by Royals' second baseman Michael Massey and shortstop Garcia combined on a sensational putout of Stott in the third inning. Massey snared Stott's hard-hit grounder while driving it to right, and he flipped the ball out of his glove to Garcia, who fired to first base just to get the speedy Stott. Incredible, Royals manager Matt Quattaro said, but Stott responded with his own stellar defense play. Where, two innings later, 
robbing Matt Beatty of an RBI hit with a diving grab. Center fielder Kyle Isbell took extra bases away from Harper in the seventh with a leaping grab of his drive to the wall in center. The Phillies did score on the sacrifice fly, but with everything happening and all the streaks coming into play, Harper extended his on-base streak to 14 consecutive games with a first-inning double. Garcia made it 10 contests in a row with a hit when he singled in the first. And the series really came to fruition. The Kansas City Royals has lost 30 of the last 34 series. After dropping 2 of 3 to the Phillies, still, Quattaro was pleased with the direction in which his ball club is headed. The Royals won 7 in a row before Saturday's game, but they played well this series, and Quattaro said that he's proud of his club. But turning up for Turner, Trey Turner doubled in the first inning and finished 1 for 4 since the Phillies fans responded to a social media campaign to loudly cheer the slumping slugger. Beginning on Friday night, Turner is 4 for 12 with a 3-run homer, 2 doubles, and 5 RBIs. Now we're on to our trainer's report. As for the Royals, catcher Salvador Perez exited with a left-hand contusion after being hit by a pitch from Walker in the second. X-rays after the game were negative. And Quattaro said, wow, Phillies placed outfielder Brandon Marsh on a 10-day injury list with a left knee contusion. Marsh got hurt during Saturday night's game. So Kansas City, when he crashed into the center field wall, trying to catch Samad Taylor's fifth inning triple, Weston Wilson was recalled from AAA Lehigh Valley to take Marsh's spot on the roster. But all in all, in this game, it was the Philadelphia Phillies who took, to you guessed it, folks, the Kansas City Royals to the bank by the score of 8-4. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back with the world of the NBA offseason. You don't want to miss it. Active Pest Control offers the best services and prices to protect your home. Offering both monthly and quarterly pest control services, plus specific services like bed bug, German roach, and flea control. Even if you can't see them, insects are all around you 24-7. Active Pest Control wants to be the first line of defense. Active Pest Control. Repair. Bond. Best termite coverage around. Active Pest Control. 34 Jefferson Street, Noonan. 770-954-9941. Want to give back to your community in a meaningful way? Cares for Kids is a Keller Williams Realty-founded charity in which 100% of money raised goes directly to children in need in our area. Cares for Kids helps fund local organizations like Angel's House, Cowita Casa, Elevate, and more. Help Cares for Kids reach their mission of serving 1 million children. Call 678-634-9770 today to learn more on how to be involved or text k for k Noonan to 44321 to donate. This week's Property of the Week is located at 688 Cheatham Road in Griffin, Georgia. This 32.14 acre tract is waiting to find its new owner. This property features a three bed, two bath home built in 1890. 
An 18 by 28 utility shed ran with its own power and water, fencing for horses and other livestock, and timber such as pine, oak, and pecan trees. Call 678-634-9770 for more information. Welcome back! You're listening to the Nightly Crow Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 The Key at Newton, Georgia. And now we're heading into the NBA offseason. And our first story is about the Los Angeles Lakers star forward signing an annual contract extension that is the richest. So Los Angeles Lakers forward Anthony Davis has agreed to a three-year $186 million maximum contract extension, tying him to the franchise through 2028 for a total of $270 million. Clutch Sports CEO Rich Paul told ESPN on Friday, Davis's deal is the richest annual contract extension in NBA history, averaging $62 million a season. Davis, who had two years and $84 million left on his contract, became eligible to sign the three-year extension on Friday. And Lakers general manager Rob Pelinka and Paul moved quickly to complete a deal along with LeBron James. Davis remains a cornerstone of a team that advanced to the Western Conference Finals a season ago. He averaged 26 points, 12.5 rebounds, and 2 blocks, shooting a career-high 56% last season. Davis, a four-time All-NBA first-team player, has averaged 25 points and two blocks in a season five times, the third-highest total behind only Shaquille O'Neal and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, according to ESPN Stats and Information Research. But during the 2023 playoffs, Davis became the third Lakers player with 50 blocks in a single postseason, behind only O'Neal and Abdul-Jabbar. Davis, 30 years old, arrived in a blockbuster 2019 trade with the New Orleans Pelicans and along with James, helped deliver a 2020 NBA championship to the Lakers. Davis and James had their contracts running concurrently after both signed new deals in the aftermath of the 2020 title. Davis, new extension, however, creates a bridge Beyond James' current commitment to the franchise, James, who is entering his 21st season, has a player option for the 2024-25 season. Already this summer, the Lakers signed Akamura, Austin Reeves, and Gabe Vincent to free agent deals that run through 2025. Couldn't think more highly of Anthony Davis as a Laker and as a player, Pelinka said. He helped deliver a championship to our franchise. He's been an incredible captain and leader. So, it's well-deserving for Anthony Davis to get this contract extension, nonetheless making it the highest contract extension you could possibly have. Congratulations to him. He's had a great career, and hopefully he can keep the Lakers moving, and maybe they can win a championship soon. But now we're on to our, but now we're on to our last story. In the NBA offseason, this is about the USA coach naming one of his players a leader. So Team USA head coach Steve Kerr expected to go through several out-of-bounds plays to end Saturday afternoon's practice here in the Sin City. But on the second one, 
the senior national team stole the ball from their select team counterparts, and Jalen Brunson found himself with no one between him and the basket. And when the New York Knicks point guard, who is listed at six foot one, rose up and dunked the ball, causing the twenty plus players in the gym to leap to their feet, Kerr decided he's seen enough. The Jalen dunk ended things. Kerr said afterward with a smile, because how could you possibly top that? It was a lighthearted moment to end the third day of training camp here at the Mendenhall Center on UNLV's campus, and a successful one for the national team. They responded to losing to the select team twice and scrimmages open to the media. By handily winning the practices battles on Saturday, but it was the latest indication of Brunson's role within the team as Kerr reiterated Saturday that he sees him as the group's natural leader. I think Jalen is a natural leader, Kerr said, because he's a point guard. He immediately comes to mind. He's the one, he's the one who's leading the one, two, three USA chance, but some guys just have what it has, and natural-born leader. But we've got a great group. There's leadership that comes from a lot of them, and it's fun to see. But Kerr's faith in Brunson is evident in the way he has deployed his lineups through the first couple of days of practice. While Kerr has repeatedly said there's nothing set in stone, Team USA has lined up with four of the same five players in the starting lineup the past two days. Brunson at point guard, McCall Bridges, and Brandon Ingram on the wings, and Jaron Jackson Jr. at center. On Friday, it was the Brooklyn Nets forward Cam Johnson in the fifth starting spot, while on Saturday, it was the Minnesota Timberwolves star Anthony Edwards. Sunday is set to be a non-contact practice that we saw last night. But according to Kerr, before Monday night's game, the first exhibition game against Puerto Rico, nothing set by any means. Kerr said in response to a question asking about his starting lineups and rotations, we're learning as we go. I thought we've learned a lot from yesterday. We're going to learn a lot more from today. But it's great to have these things on tape so we can go back and look at stuff. But there will be a lot of really interesting possible combinations just because we're able to see the skill set on the roster. But a couple of things have stood out. However, one is the four players who started the first portion of scrimmages the past two days. Another, Team USA is clearly going to play small as there hasn't been a single point during those scrimmages when any of the three traditional bigs on the roster, Jackson, Walker Kessler, or Bobby Portis, have been on the court together. But Kerr has had... Ever played Brunson and fellow point guard Tyrese Halberton together and said he's excited about passing the ability through the group, possessing the up and down. But yeah, we played them separately the first two quarters and then we put them together. Kerr said on the two point guards, guys who have feel and can pass, they can play with anybody, but it's fun. It's fun having kind of a dual point guard lineup out there, but I feel the same way, honestly, when Austin Reeves is out there. Austin's such a good passer, and he sees the floor so well. 
this is a time where we're just looking at a lot of different combinations and seeing what we have. What Kerr seems to already know through is that Brunson is a player he'll lean on to lead this group through the next few weeks and to what we hope to be a gold medal in the Philippines at the FIBA Basketball World Cup. But Brunson, who is part of a heavy Knicks contingent on hand here this week, said all he focuses on is doing his job. I have to be myself, said Brunson, but don't really step out of my shoes. Just myself and lead. You gotta lead by example. You gotta use your voice, and you gotta know your audience. But I think most importantly, what I've got from this group of guys within the first day is that everyone's willing to sacrifice. That's what we need to win. And we have a lot of guys who are willing to do that. Very interesting. This is not a group of nothing but standout players. It's definitely a grouping by committee. All these guys are going to have to get the job done. And there's going to be a rotation, definitely an eight to nine man rotation that's going to have to take care of business if they're going to want to win the FIBA World Cup. We'll see what Team USA does out there, and hopefully Coach Steve Kerr can bring and enlighten this team and Jalen Brunson being the leader on this USA team. Don't go anywhere, folks. We'll be right back with the NFL offseason. You don't want to miss it. Wishbone Fried Chicken is back in a brand new location. 31 Jackson Street, Sweet A here in Noonan. Same great taste. The best chicken around. Fish dinners. Open Monday through Saturday, 10.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Dine in. Take out. It's Wishbone Fried Chicken. Right next door to their former location, bringing you the best chicken around. So great. Wishbone Fried Chicken, 31 Jackson Street, Sweet A, here in Noonan. Got mold? Call the Mold Man. Specializing in crawl space and interior mold remediation, encapsulations, and basement waterproofing since 2019. The Mold Man team takes pride in keeping your family healthy and your home mold free. Visit our website, themoldmanllc.com, to schedule a quote or give us a call at 678-227-9763. Hey sports fans, it's Rod Peterson here, host of the Rod Peterson Show, inviting you to join us daily for two hours of Atlanta's funnest sports talk right here on WQEE. I say fun because it is. You've never heard a show like it because we make the listeners a part of the show. Every day between noon and 2 p.m. Eastern, you'll hear plenty of the best sports talk, including the latest on the Falcons, the Braves, and more. And who knows, you might even hear you. That's the Rod Peterson Show, daily at noon, right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. Hey, sports fans. Weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern to 5 p.m. Eastern. Drive time. WQEE. Braves Country is a Southern sports talk show with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. That's Braves Country with Mac McGee and the Armchair Quarterbacks. Weekdays, 3 p.m. to 5 p.m., right here on WQEE 99.1 FM. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crown Catcher with Corey Bank. On WQEE 99.1, the key attitude in Georgia. And now we're on to our NFL offseason. And our first story is about the Carolina Panthers picking up a veteran pass rusher. So the Carolina Panthers finally landed a veteran edge rusher 
to play opposite of Brian Burns and Justin Houston. Even though the 34-year-old may not be an every-down player at this point in his career, Houston and the Panthers have agreed to a one-year deal worth up to $7 million, with $6 million guaranteed, sources told ESPN's Adam Schefter. The team announced the signing Sunday, but did not disclose terms. Coach Frank Reich and General Manager Scott Fitterer have been saying for weeks they would continue looking for a veteran to play outside linebacker in their new 3-4 scheme. As candidates were signed by other teams, they went with Houston, who has been one of the best at his position in the 3-4. The need increased as Marquise Haynes, who emerged out of off-season workouts as the starter opposite the Burns, continued to miss practice time with a back injury. In Haynes' absence, Gross Mateos, Echo Leto, and DJ Johnson, and starting inside linebacker Frank A. Luvu, have been among the players rotating at outside linebacker, but none of them has the experience that Houston does, particularly in the 3-4. The team was hopeful Johnson would emerge after it traded up in the third round of the April draft to get him. But he remains a work in progress. And Houston is a four-time Pro Bowl defender who had a resurgent season for the Baltimore Ravens in the 2022 last year. He produced nine and a half sacks, becoming the first player in team history to record three straight multi-sack games. But his impact diminished in the second half of the season when he only managed to have a half sack in his last seven games. After contemplating retirement last year, Houston said after the season he wanted to continue playing. Even without being an every-down linebacker, he can still be an effective pass rusher specialist, but his 111.5 sacks rank fifth among active players in this league at this point in time. And Houston maintains a burst off the line after 12 NFL seasons. His average pass rush get-off is a whopping .75 seconds last season, fourth quickest in the league, and that's incredible. At this age, he's 34 years old, and he's able to get off the line that quick, that swift, like a gunslinger. So according to next-gen stats, he trailed only Brandon Graham, Nick Bosa, and Hassan Riddick. Houston's impact off the field has been judged just as meaningful. He repeatedly stays after practice to work on pass rush moves with the younger outside linebackers who nicknamed him Yoda and Sensei. But Houston played for Wright and Indianapolis in 2019-2020, collecting a combined 19 sacks during those two seasons. So a third-round pick by the Kansas City Chiefs Back in the 2011 season, Houston has recorded a total of 506 tackles, 19 forced fumbles, and 5 interceptions in his career. So, there's no question that Justin Houston has been a dynamic player in the NFL, and that is a very good pickup for this ball club to see now a lot more depth out the outside linebacker position. And he is your ideal 3-4 linebacker, sliding back and forth, being able to make those run-stuffing plays, while at the same time being able to make some good coverages and then they can line them up sometimes 
at defensive end in the wide nine. But now, we're on to our next story of the NFL offseason. And this is about Minnesota Vikings adding a veteran for more depth at the wide receiver position. The Minnesota Vikings bolstered their receiving core at this point in time by signing on Sunday Nikhil Harry following a workout at their practice facility. The team announced Harry will help backfill a group that has been practicing without two injured receivers. Jalen Naylor hasn't participated since suffering a lower leg injury during the first practice of training camp on July 26th. Tristan Jackson who also suffered a lower leg injury last week. So Harry, 25, played for three seasons with the New England Patriots if they made him a first-round pick back in 2019. His time there was a disappointment, though, as he managed 57 receptions over 33 games. That's a tough pill to swallow, but there's always time for him to bounce back, and there's still value with him. He was traded to Chicago in 2022 for a seventh-round draft pick, but the Vikings now have four former first-round picks in the receiving core, with Justin Jefferson, Jordan Addison, Jalen Rager, and now Harry. So, there's no question that they see some upside in him. Maybe he's going to be better fit in their, in their scheme. Perhaps he finds better mentors and coaches who are going to able, be able to get him to the next level. I don't know, but at this point in time, he has an opportunity to change his Stars that align in this career, and that's all will be remain to be seen. But in our last story of the NFL offseason is about the Cincinnati Bengals linebacker. He has a hope that the franchise will retain some crucial players, and we'll see. So Logan Wilson understood the situation this offseason started. The fourth-year linebacker was one of the vital Cincinnati players eligible for extensions on their rookie contracts. While quarterback Joe Burrow and wide receiver T. Higgins received the bulk of the attention, Wilson waited to see where he fit in the franchise's future. Now, with his extension signed, Wilson hopes the Bengals can continue to retain the core that helped transform the NFL's worst franchise into a 2019 team that may be a Super Bowl finalist. I still think that this contract allows them to get those things done with guys, and hopefully we're able to keep them long-term as well, Wilson said Sunday. One day after he signed a four-year extension worth $37.25 million, Bengals coach Zach Taylor was all smiles as he introduced Wilson, recalling how in 2020, the Bengals anxiously waited for him to escape the second round of the draft. Cincinnati, which held the first pick in the third round, pounced and took the standout from Wyoming. He's one of those draft experiences that I have where we were really crossing our fingers here. Every single pick that came off the board, hoping and praying that he'd still be available, Taylor said, and fortunately he was. The six foot two Wilson has solidified the middle of Cincinnati's defense, leading the team in tackles the past two seasons, including a career-high 123 in 2022. He also has seven career interceptions, 11 pass deflections, and two forced fumbles in the regular season. Wilson's teammates have been supportive of his new contract. He said 
he was still at the team facility Friday, and when both teams cited to agree terms, cornerback Mike Hilton walked out of a meeting room once the news broke to congratulate him on the deal. Higgins, who was awaiting his contract extension, has issued messages on social media in support of Wilson's extension. The top three draft picks in Cincinnati's 2020 class, Burrow, Higgins, and Wilson. And they've been starters as the Bengals have transformed into a perennial Super Bowl contender on Sunday. Wilson said, being part of that critical draft class was rewarding and humbling. It also played a role in his desire to remain with the franchise. We are all rooting for each other, he said, but that's also rare. Because sometimes guys are just trying to get theirs. The whole team has camaraderie. We have it's just rare. And it's something you don't really see with other franchises in this league. It's another reason I want to be a part of it. But with that being said, with all the great chemistry involved, and that 2020 draft class really a powerful one indeed with Burrow, Higgins, and Wilson, will they keep all three of these players? I personally think they need to take care of those guys. They were huge on all fronts. Receivers with Higgins, Burrow, your franchise quarterback, and Wilson as a top elite linebacker. We'll be right back with the NCAA offseason program. You don't want to miss it. How do you make the most of your land? Everyone has their way. The Nelsons depend on their John Deere Gator XUV 835R to get from point A to point B with decoys and the dogs. As much as we got going on, it's all about efficiency. And if you ask the Mosers what they use their Gator XUV 590M for, they tell you. The most fun we have on the Gator is just repping around the property. There are millions of ways to make the most of your land. Learn how to make the most of yours at deer.com. Nothing runs like a deer. I'm pretty handy around the house, but now that I have kids, I don't want to spend my Saturday installing a toilet or fixing an air conditioner. But thankfully, there's HomeAdvisor. HomeAdvisor helps me find the best home pros in my area to handle any kind of project. You can read reviews of the pros, check their availability, and even book appointments online. And what my wife loves most is that HomeAdvisor is completely free to use. Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free app to get started. HomeAdvisor. I'm not going to lie. I know nothing about cars. And I don't really mind keeping it that way. This, it's cool. I called CarShield before my car broke down. Thanks to CarShield, I don't have to understand anything about what's broken because plans can pay for repairs on up to 6,000 parts of my car. Leave fixing cars to the experts and call CarShield before your car breaks down and maybe save some money for once. It's a thought. Call 800-579-6554. 800-579-6554. At Jersey Mike's, they slice your order fresh right in front of you. And let me tell you, watching that can send a rush of emotions through a person. Excitement, impatience, baby-like wonder, indecisive, anticipatory chewing, nervous pacing, happy claps, and finally, jealousy, because that's this guy's sub. I should order one. Good idea. Sliced right in front of you. It's a Jersey Mike's thing. A sub above. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowdcatcher with Corey Bank on WQEE. 99.1, the key at Newton, Georgia. Now we're on to the world, the NCAA football offseason. And this is about the Alabama's new coordinators embracing the Alabama standard. Next, Kevin Steele 
has been coaching football for nearly a decade longer than Tommy Reeves has been alive. Steele is embarking on his second stint as Alabama's defensive coordinator, and the 31-year-old Reeves is approaching his first season as the Crimson Tide's offensive coordinator. They're at a very different stages of their careers, but with the same mission. Help coach Nick Saban and Alabama get back to national championship form. Both made it clear Sunday they're putting their imprint on Saban's system, not the other way around. Steele, who was defensive coordinator on Saban's first tied team 17 years ago, wasn't biting on a question about returning the defense the Alabama standard. That's kind of a loaded question in some regards, said 65-year-old Steele, who was beginning the 40th year of coaching. This process is built and started back in 07. I was here. It hasn't gotten anything different than it was. Obviously, offensive football has changed, though. It's harder on defense right now at this present time than maybe it's been in a long time. But the process is the process. Steele replaced Pete Golding, who took over the defense at Mississippi. Steele and Rees spoke to reporters Sunday for the first time since both were hired in February. It's likely the only time until perhaps leading up to a bowl game or their preferred destination. The football playoff, they're each set to make $1.9 million this year. But Alabama lost two games last season, falling short of and failing to even make the Southeastern Conference Championship. Now Rees is charged with replacing number one NFL draft pick Bryce Young at quarterback, and Steele must find a pass rusher to fill the void left by the number three overall pick linebacker Will Anderson Jr. Neither Saban nor Rees are tipping their hand if a quarterback has the upper hand a few practices into fall camp. But the tide coach noted that history proves a quarterback competition doesn't necessarily end with a decision on the opening game starter. I've told our quarterbacks, fall camp is not the beginning of the end, he said. You've got an opportunity to separate yourself, to show that you can play with consistency and play winning football at the position. But that competition goes on and on and on, and we need all the quarterbacks to continue to improve and to continue to compete even far beyond the time that we name a starter. We've had circumstances around here where quarterbacks have changed over the course of the year, the offensive line will be an area of focus, as well as regardless of who is under center. The Crimson Tide ranked 123rd in blown block rate, 110 in offensive line penalties per game, and 78th in pressure rate allowed, and 60 in stuff rated allowed last season. But Rees is clearly familiar with one of the quarterback's candidates, Tyler Buckner won the starting job for him at Notre Dame last season before getting sidelined for an injury. Buckner joined the Tide after spring practice when neither Jalen Milrow nor Ty Simpson came close to locking down the job. He provides a little bit of veteran presence in the room and adds competition. Ree said, I think he's hit the ground running with the rest of the guys on the team, especially with the rest of the quarterbacks. And on the flip side, he notes that Milrow and Simpson both struck around to compete instead of transferring after Buckner's addition. But after the age gap aside, Steele has some insight into his young offensive counterpart. 
he has also but known that Reese's coaching father, Bill. Tommy was unique for me because I knew his dad before Tommy was born. Seal said he is extremely bright as a coach. The kid has the mentality to help lead a team. So I don't know if he'd be appreciated in that regard, but he's a very smart football coach, and this is what we need to see in the future. So let's see what happens with the Alabama team this year and if they can put together a really decent year. That's what remains to be seen. But we'll be right back with music news. You don't want to go anywhere, folks. When you really need something to get you through a long graduation ceremony, Trolley Sour Gummy Worms are there to give you a thrill. With varieties like Trolley Sour Bursting Crawlers, the worm's soft and chewy texture, surprising flavor combinations, and neon bright colors will give everyone a reason to celebrate. So when you want to notch the festivities up a couple degrees, Trolley Sour Gummy Worms are the perfect way for everyone to celebrate. Shop now for any trolley that crawls your way. This is Austin Black, and I am the host of Behind the Tunes. Have you ever wondered about the stories behind your favorite songs and the journeys of those that sing them? Well, each week, we invite you to go behind the tunes and step into the stories behind your favorite Christian artists that shape the landscape of today's music. Hey everybody, this is Andy Crispin. Join me this week for worship as I play two hours of the best in modern worship music from churches and worship leaders around the world. And this week, my special guest is Blake Goss of New Spring Worship. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making ways in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. For us, that scripture came alive because he did a new thing actually in an old place. You don't want to miss a moment of this week's worship with me, your host, Andy Crispin. WQE 99.1 FM, The Key. Home of Southern Sports and Talk. Noonan, Sharpsburg, Franklin. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowdcatcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 The Key at Newton, Georgia. And now, in our music news segment, and our first story is about a legendary rock band opening the start of the tour, ACDCs. It's a long way to the top. Felt like an appropriate choice of Lights Down intro music for Metallica's concert at MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. The first show of the U.S. leg of the band's M72 World Tour and the first of two shows they play at the venue. So after all, it's now been 40 years since their debut album, Kill'em All, first made them metal sensations. Through they've spent most of those four decades as the gigantic rock stars, not many years in between have been particularly easy for the band as they've dealt at length with death alcoholism, and band turmoil, repeat fan backlash, and extremely public humiliation. But here they were, unquestionably at the top, as drummer Lars Ulrich later pointed out, performing in the round at the 80,000 cap, MetLife marked the biggest venue they'd ever played in the New York area, and they'd be back doing so again on Sunday night. And their gratitude after being there, and being anywhere at all really, but with an infectious... So the band was likely feeling extra thankful to have an audience so willing to go along with 
their fascinating gambit for this particular tour, a risky no-repeat weekend strategy that sees them play two nights at the same venue with two completely different set lists, meaning that each individual show is invariably lacking a handful of the usual musts. Fans with the time, willingness, and most importantly money to make it out to East Rutherford for both of the weekend's shows could afford to be zen about such things. But those in town for one night only could understandably be anxious about some of the biggest from the Friday show after all. Can you really call it a Metallica concert if there's no one who could do for whom the bell tolls? No one. And in Yankees country, no less, no enter the Sandman. The answer, of course, is yes, as became fairly clear early in the set. Many bands throughout history, even great ones, are too defined by their hits to stray from them in an average concert. Metallica can start with three deep cuts, Creeping Death, from Ride the Lightning, Harvester of Sorrow, and, and Justice for All, and Holier Than Thou from Metallica, and not feel like they're reaching. Besides, even with over two hours to work with, the band's songs are epic enough that there was only room for 16 of them. Metallica couldn't hit all the biggest ones with the setless length, even if they tried. So it was pretty easy to let go of the idea of a a la carte song ordering and let Metallica's setlist do its thing. And both the song selection and the performance was pretty impeccable throughout. It felt a privilege to get near 10 minutes each of the both spellbinding Master of Puppets instrumental, Sugar Orion, and the underrated 21st century Simple Man turned free bird power ballad, The Day That Never Comes, with the band, minus the occasional Lars aberration and total lockstep guitarist Kirk Hammett's solos in particular sounding as explosive and radiant as ever. Even most of the material from the new 72 seasons, which can feel a little flat on record, came alive in this setting, sounding more credible than ever as forgotten B-sides or second side cuts from the band's classic period. If Darkness had a son, Thou will likely always be a tough hang. But just as important than the specific songs and performances was the band's good vibes throughout. You wouldn't necessarily expect to be able to describe a Metallica concert, particularly one that starts with Creeping Death as a life affirmation. But that's how it is. It felt watching these guys cheesing up a storm, raving about their own picks. I like that song. Dodging gigantic beach balls on stage, dropped on the crowd during Seek and Destroy, even throwing an entire red solo cup worth of picks into the crowd after the show. We are so grateful to be up there kicking butt and celebrating life with you. Frontman James Hetfield raved, bassist Robert Trujillo, who's now been with the band a full two decades and is basically the same age as the other band members, still bounds with a sort of new guy energy to him. He's a great argument for why all veteran rock bands should add a brand new member, preferably one who's been a longtime fan halfway through their lifespan, to keep things from ever getting too stale. 
The show closed with Master of Puppets, a signature song which, after three and a half decades of fan worship, also become the band's unlikely first Hot 100 Top 40 and nearly 15 years last summer. The most imaging that the evening had in place. We had a series of four pre-teens in watching Metallica shirts losing their minds and eventually their shirts to master. All members will be right back with our last story in music news. You don't want to miss it. The Baxters have a new first book. From number one New York Times best-selling novelist Karen Kingsbury, author of life-changing fiction, comes The Baxters, a prequel. The heart-pounding story of Carrie Baxter's wedding. Amidst family tension and the worst storm Bloomington, Indiana has seen in a decade. The Baxters, by America's favorite inspirational storyteller, Karen Kingsbury. Visit KarenKingsbury.com for more information. The Baxters, available now wherever books are sold. I'm pretty handy around the house but now that i have kids i don't want to spend my saturday installing a toilet or fixing an air conditioner but thankfully there's home advisor home advisor helps me find the best home pros in my area to handle any kind of project you can read reviews of the pros check their availability even book appointments online and what my wife loves most is that home advisor is completely free to use go to homeadvisor.com or download the free app to get started home advisor Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back. You're listening to the Nightly Crowd Catcher with Corey Bank on WQEE 99.1 The Key at Noon in Georgia. And now we're on to our last story in our music news segment. And this is about a 2000s rapper set headline Amazon Music's event next. So as we enter the hip-hop birth month, the entire music industry is pulling out all the stops to celebrate the genre's 50th birthday. On Friday, August 4th, Amazon Music announced Ja Rule as the headliner of the Final 50 and Forever City Sessions live stream of the summer. The Grammy-nominated rapper will join a lineup of peers and collaborators for a performance from the rooftop at Pier 17 in New York City on August 10th, the eve of hip-hop 50th anniversary. Throughout the 50 and Forever series, Amazon Music is paying tribute to hip-hop's monumental global influence on music culture, and society. Created by Rotation, the hip-hop and R&B brand from Amazon Music, 50 and Forever, has celebrity th- celebrated the occasion with curated events, live streams, playlists, and original content, and music across a plethora of platforms, including Amazon Music, Twitch, Audible. Welcome back to Nightly Crowdcatcher with Corey Bank, 
Thank you, everyone who's listening tonight. Thank you, WQEE. Everyone, get a great night's sleep. Get home safely. And we'll see you next time. Have a great night, everybody. Take care.